Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here this week on the Slash Filmcast today is we are going to talk about uh, some what we've been watching. we got a Slash Film Court today where we're going to adjudicate a movie-related dilemma, and then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be reviewing the new Blumhouse horror film, Happy Death Day, with special guest actor Stephen Tobolowsky. Uh, and if you know the plot of Happy Death Day and you know the plot of Groundhog Day, you'll understand why that is the delightful pairing. Uh, but uh, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, before we start uh, this episode, I do have an announcement to make. Uh, now, uh, you guys may know that I recently started, uh, or not recently, like five years ago, I started doing mm-hmm. this thing where I record one second of video for every day of my life using the uh, One Second Every Day app. Uh, have you guys heard of this app or ever used it? Jeff? I'm I think doing you, it too. Oh, yeah. You're doing it? Yeah. yeah. I did it last year and uh, I'm doing it this year again. I, um, I was very pleased to do it the year that, uh, we found out we were having a kid and it had my one second that we're, you know, even at the hospital having my son. And, and now this year, uh, it's, it's basically all Jack. It's all my son. <laughs> uh, so I'm very excited. I, I do it based on the calendar year. So I, at the end at the end of December, I'll be compiling my final thing. But man, I can't recommend that app enough. It is, it's a joy. It's a great app. And uh, I used it this year to put together my one second video. So this is the fifth year that I've been doing it. And uh, putting together your one second video, it's, you know, it's like a five minute compilation, five or six minute compilation of your year. Basically, you kind of put one second for every day of your year, smash it all together into one video. That's five or six minutes. And uh, you, you know, there's a, there's a few goals for doing that. Like, uh, I think Caesar Kuriyama, the guy who basically created that app, he said mm-hmm. during his TED talk that, you know, uh, after 10 years, like after a decade, you'll have like a one hour movie that represents a decade of your life, which I think is like a, a profound thing, especially if you have children or you you want to have like descendants, you you can kind of pass it on as like, hey, this is a this is a kind of like way to represent what my life was like. Um, it's a compression of time. That feels like magic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. to to see a, a year of your life in in highlights. Uh, you don't think a second is very long, but it can convey a lot, and it's actually very watchable to watch these seconds smashed up one next to the next. Yeah, uh, especially when you incredible. if you're recording the seconds, like if you have storytelling in mind when you're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. it can be possible to tell really interesting stories using the one seconds. Um, but anyway, uh, I put together my one second this year. I, I usually do it on my birthday, but I was very late this year. I put it together a few months later, and I made a rather uh, startling realization as I was putting it together this year, which is that in the past nine months, I have been sick five times. Uh, I got the flu, I got sinus infection, I got viral gastroenteritis, I got all these other things that happened to me in the last five months. Uh, and that was shocking to me because uh, I usually get sick once a year. How often do you guys get sick? Like I get sick like once a year, it lays me out for a week, and then I'm back to back to work. It depends. But, yeah. uh, maybe twice. Yeah. yeah, twice. Yeah, and so getting sick five times uh, in a year felt to me like a uh, red flag, <laughs> you know, felt like a warning, like uh, something 
something terrible is happening. And to be fair, uh, you know, I've, you know, for those curious, I've seen a doctor, I've gotten blood tests, everything is fine. Um, I, I, Are you washing nothing... your hands, David? <laughs> Probably Wash not enough. Hands. Probably not enough. So there's nothing like seriously wrong uh, with my health. You know, I've gotten tests uh, of all kinds, and uh, but I am just very concerned about my own immune system and my own stress mm-hmm. level. This past summer was extremely stressful for me. I started a new job. I was running three podcasts. Uh, and I moved out of my apartment where I'd been in for years. Not to mention, uh, Seattle was enveloped in this haze of smoke for uh, several weeks. It was just like a miserable time overall, and it really affected my health in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So uh, all that said, I'm basically announcing that I'm taking a break from the Slash Filmcast, taking a couple months off of the show to kind of recuperate uh, and to kind of unplug a little bit and focus on uh, my full-time job a little bit, focus on the rest of my life uh, when I'm not online a little bit. And uh, that's that's the plan. So my plan is I'm going to leave the show in the extremely capable hands of Jeff Kanata and Devinder Hardwar for the next couple months uh, and return, hopefully, triumphantly, hopefully, uh, for Star Wars The Last Jedi because you guys know... Well, I we know who that. The Last Jedi is now. Apparently. So, apparently perfect. I've heard it's... Well, it's I, I don't want to say because Jeff Kanata, you probably don't know, right? It's it's you, Dave. <laughs> we were thinking it's you, Dave. Oh, it's me. It's me. You I are thought. the last Jedi. Ah, that's 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 good to know. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, random side note about Last Jedi. I did not watch the newest trailer, and oh. man, it, it was painful to to do that. Like mm. seeing that's everyone the trailer, <laughs> seeing everyone talk about it and celebrate it. Jeff, I mean, you got to admit that was tough. Not an easy lifestyle, Dave. But it's. Uh... It, it, I mean, guys, it'll all be gifted and tweeted at you. So it was, it was, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So there you go. You, you'll get all the bits anyway. Anyway, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so I, I leave the show in your very capable hands for the next couple months. You know, I've been doing this show for over nine years, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much every single week. I feel like I've missed maybe you know four to five weeks out of that whole time. Yeah. Uh, and the weeks I have missed, I've like done a bonus episode or something. Yeah. So I've been doing the show for been a really going long. surprisingly steady, man. Yeah. Like, yeah it, it's most podcasts steady. don't have that. Yeah. Um, and uh, all that said, in that time, one thing we've learned is that the, the show, in my opinion, generally functions better if it has three co-hosts, right? Um, so we put out the call last week for a lot of uh, uh, your suggestions for guests, uh, and we received a lot of them. And we are reading them and taking them seriously, and we really appreciate you guys sharing them with us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And we're going to try to make an effort uh, every week that I'm gone to have on uh, a guest, hopefully that you guys sent in, but at least someone who's a friend of the show. Uh, And so, again, appreciate all the suggestions. Uh, We're going to try to get a third chair on every single week while I'm gone. You know, by the time I'm back, you guys will be like, Dave Chen, who's that guy? We already are thrilled with the show (laughs) without him. In any case, I think that's the plan is, you know, I'll be gone for a couple months and we'll be have uh, awesome guests come in and fill in for me uh, during that time whenever you are are able to get someone on. Because it's not always like the schedules don't always work out, but there'll be a good faith effort in that part. Uh, I'm a little disappointed, Dave, just because uh, I feel like there's enough now going on to really justify a weekly Avatar 2 update segment <laughs> every episode. And mm. I feel like you're just you're just kind of missing out on that and yeah. maybe sabotaging it. Maybe that's the the <laughs> real motivation here. You know, Jeff, I was <laughs> tweeting with you about Avatar this weekend and I uh, here's the thing that I I feel badly about the Avatar thing is 
for me, it's one of my favorite segments, you know, hearing you defend Avatar. And it's kind of a fun thing, you know, like we, me and Devendra trash either Avatar or its memory and, and you defend it. And that's kind of a long-term thing. But I feel that this, this battle is starting to wear on you, Jeff. Is it starting to wear on you? Because I, like, I feel like there's a lot well, of earnestness say, in your defense of Avatar. Let's say that one of us is tapping out and the other one is still here, Dave. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. But there's so much news, man. Kate Winslet. We could, just, we could have a segment every single week talking about casting news and what's, <laughs> what's Jim Cameron thinking today. Hmm. Well, uh, I will like let you podcast. guys – you know, I'll let you guys decide how to take – what directions to take the show in. How about that? Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can do all that while I'm gone. Maybe just get it all out of your system, Jeff. And then we never need to talk about it again. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for uh, understanding, listeners. And I, I just want to say that it's been, obviously, uh, so much fun doing this show. And uh, I, I'm going to be back in a couple months. And then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see where things go from there. But I'm very grateful also to Jeff and Devinder for being willing to kind of take things over in my absence. And uh, so that's what's going on with the show. And uh, hope that all makes sense. Uh, and if you want to follow my stuff while I'm gone, um, I'll be at DaveChen.net. I'll going to try, try blogging a little bit more, try tweeting a little bit less. And uh, so that'll be my plan for the next couple months. So, And please continue sending in suggestions for guests because it's very useful for us. And uh, we'd like to expand our, you know, our purview into uh, people we may not be personally familiar with. I think yeah. it'd be fun to have more different voices on the show. Yeah. And send it to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Don't connect us on Twitter because it's always super awkward. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, it's rough. Uh, but Dave, just want to say, I hope you get some rest, man. Uh, I have to say, I, I don't know if you're taking a break from any of your other shows. I don't know if the, <laughs> we should take this a little personally. Uh, but no, yes, maybe I, I, will not, I will not be podcasting at all. Uh, for okay. the next couple months. So, yeah. Yes, you shouldn't be running three podcasts and a full-time <laughs> job at a, you know, giant internet corporation. So, yeah, <laughs> take some time, take it easy. Hopefully, you can like get some rest and recharge, man. I appreciate that, guys. Um, well, thanks so much. Uh, but let's get on with the show. Uh, so, let's talk about what we've been watching this week. I want to talk about the confession tapes real quickly. Now, I went over to a friend's house and uh, they had gotten a new LG OLED TV. Uh, this thing mm. is gorgeous, like 65 inches large, and uh, yep. I, I don't have an OLED TV, uh, <laughs> so you know, I, I, like, I, I don't know even know if I prefer OLED. I think like the uh, the black colors are a lot darker on an OLED TV, right? Like, is my understanding mm-hmm. like they they do like the the HDR, the high dynamic range, better on an OLED TV. But you know, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with it. The, I have a plasma, and we have a 4K upstairs. Very happy Speaking of OLED, by the way, uh, for you, Dave, and everyone else, the prices are once again falling, like falling like <laughs> insane. So if you want an OLED, the 55 and the 65 inches just dropped by like $500 to $800. So wow. now's the time. Yeah. All right. It those inky blacks. Inky yep. blacks. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, I go over to my friend's house and uh, I turn on the television. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. We start watching stuff, and instantly I realize that the true motion mm. setting is on no! by default, which is awful. And yeah. even, you know, fortunately, my friends are, are savvy enough to understand that something was wrong with the image, but they just didn't uh, necessarily know to turn it off. So I turned it off for them. 
things looked a lot better. And in order to kind of demonstrate uh, how good the TV could look, I, I went to Netflix and I just – I was like, I need to find something 4K to see mm-hmm. – or something high quality to see like yeah. what this TV will look like. And so I just selected one of the first things I saw, which was the confession tapes. And uh, I, I started watching it and I realized it took place – uh, in Washington, so in like Bellevue area, which is about five, ten miles away from where I'm sitting right now. And I thought, I, I recognize the, that B-roll in that documentary, The Confession Tape. So anyway, I turned off True Motion, felt really good about myself, and I would recommend it like to anyone. LG's, like, leaving True Motion on by default is monstrous. And yeah. if you have a chance, go to go to your friend's houses and turn off True Motion. And for those TVs, and I think most TVs, it's also a separate setting on every individual picture setting. Yes. So you have to actually yes. you got to go in like one by one and turn. Well, off, either yeah. do that. Uh, they usually have a setting to just say apply this to everything, and you have to make sure to do that. But yeah, it, it'll occasionally pop back up like after the TV updates or something too. It's super annoying. I will say, if you're watching NFL on Sunday, leave the True Motion on. It's great. <laughs> Any literally anything else, turn it off. <laughs> but it, it's uh, great for sports. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome it's for true. sports. It's true. It's fine for stuff like that. But if we, like once we're getting sports streamed in like actual 60 FPS and not make believe 60 FPS, you know, at that point, then you could also turn it off. That's that's the whole appeal, right? It's trying to make it smoother, as if it, you were looking at like nice 60 FPS video. And you can see some examples of that on YouTube. It looks amazing, like some of that nature of photography. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so anyway, I was watching the confession tapes, and I thought, oh my gosh, that show looks kind of good. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original mm-hmm. series, kind of a true crime uh, series of documentaries, uh, very Errol Morris inspired in terms of its style. And so I decided to watch the first couple episodes, and this is an incredibly depressing show, guys. Uh, <laughs> but it does, right up your alley. it does answer the following question, which is, how is it that uh, people can confess to crimes they didn't commit? And the movie doesn't necessarily, or I should say the show doesn't necessarily prevent, present definitive answers, but it does answer the question of how that could happen. It presents several different cases, each of which, like, plausibly, the person confessed to a crime they didn't commit. And uh, it, it happens in a different way in every story, right? Like, it's not just like um, uh, police berating them in a, an interrogation room. And that's how it happens every single time. Like, the cases are all different in terms of how uh, these co- the confessions were kind of coerced or, or drawn out of people in different ways. And I thought it was completely fascinating. But you should not watch it if you want to continue having faith in our society's institutions. <laughs> so uh, all that said, The Confession Tape is a great-looking show. And uh, it raises really troubling questions about uh, false confessions in uh, our justice system. You know, Dave, that show sounds great. Not sure if that sounds like a great 4K HDR. <laughs> it's true. It's a good looking show. It's a good looking yeah. show, but it's not. It's you're right. I, yeah. I wish they had like Real Mad Max showcase. Fury Road. Yeah. In that showcase. respect, by the way, if you're looking for a good thing that's on Netflix, the first episode of Daredevil, uh, that scene where they enter his apartment for the first time, and it's kind of lit from the back by the neon lighting outside and stark inside. That is a great HDR demo. And also the night fight in the rain. Like, I just show that to people when they come over. and like, oh, what, what does OLED look like? And they're like, oh, that that's the difference. Mm. Um, and the difference with 4K HDR, too. So check that out. I always use that. What's that food show on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Just Table? No, the other one about, like, the history of food. It's The first episode starts in the... In the like outback in Australia. Oh, is that one just called food? 
might be. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, the Michael Palin one. It's amazing. And yeah. it's it the photography. And they like set fire to the fields. And it's just, it's spectacular. Looks the opening yeah. of Sense8, uh, which uh, Sense8 isn't an HDR are, are show, you thinking but it's of just cooked? like so well shot. Cook, cook. Yes. Yeah, yeah cook. Right. Uh, that, that, that show looks good. But yeah, the opening of Sense8, not HDR, but shot so beautifully and looks so clear, like in 4K. Like uh, there's a lot of good demo stuff on Netflix. I'm kind of in a place right now where my t- the TVs we have are really good enough you know like i i have a 50 inch plasma tv that i bought five years ago which is depreciated in price by like 50 to 70 percent <laughs> probably uh, but more. i i yeah. got no complaints you drive about it off a lot dave as soon as you drive yeah, it off as soon a lot. As you, I, but i got no complaints about it you know like uh, when i when i moved to seattle i got a job at microsoft i was like i'm buying myself a nice tv for once sure. and i got it and it's like it, it was like right before the 4k craze took off right mm-hmm. So now I got this 50-inch plasma. It's pretty nice, but it's like, you know, um, yeah. it's it's not bad enough that I want to upgrade, but it's not nice enough that I don't feel envious of Jeff Kanata and yeah. David Hardware, you know? Basically, make a make a promise to yourself, Dave. Like, your TV actually still sounds relatively new, but just go OLED. Like, just wait until OLED is cheap enough for you. And mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to kind of time it out. All right. Yeah, by that time, there'll be something better. <laughs> that's how it works. Indeed. Uh, I I don't know, Jeff. I know you have regrets. I'm very sorry. I have next regrets. Time, next time, <laughs> let me know. And I, yeah, I, I Jeff, what are your regrets? Of... So, did you buy your 80 inch TV? Your 80 inch TV is 4K, though, right? It is, but it's not HDR. And oh, and that that is, it is literally critical literally mistake. One yeah. year before <laughs> they retroactively yeah. added HDR to the Vizio model that I have. Mm. So I literally j- missed it by that much. Mm. Um, well, so these it, are champ- it kills me every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of that. <laughs> Champagne problems. As, uh, yeah, it's true. It's as true. I, I think Dan Trachtenberg used to use that expression. Uh, so, in, indeed, yeah. indeed. Okay. Uh, so I also had a chance to go to the Bend Film Festival. Uh, and it is in Bend, Oregon. It is a six-hour drive away. Uh, me and my fiance loaded up the car, drove down to Bend, and I, I went there to watch uh, my film, Dr. B, uh, my short film, uh, play in front of an audience. It played in a family shorts uh, segment that was, uh, what do you call it? it? It aired at 10 in the morning. Oh, great. And what was cool about it was uh, there was it was a family shorts film. So there's a bunch of kids there, right, mm-hmm. which uh, is an audience that, would never otherwise watch this movie. Like, even if this movie did huge gangbusters on, like, Vimeo or something, I don't know that, you know, kids would ever find it. It, it, Like, my short film, Dr. B, which you can find online. It's like yo-yos. Yeah, it's a yo-yo movie, you know, um, but it's it's not a movie that I think, like, I don't know, I I didn't think of it as a family film when I I created it. And uh, it was, when when you submit to a film festival, you don't know what is going to happen to your film. Like, you don't know if it's going to be paired up with a feature-length movie. You don't know if it's in, in a shorts program. Like, uh, in, a, what, in, a, uh, in a film festival, anything that doesn't have aggressive nudity and language is a family yeah, film. Yeah, indeed. But, you, you, you know, you don't know, like, what uh, what's going to happen to your... Like, you don't know what it's going to be paired with, is what I'm saying. And uh, I would say I was very pleasantly surprised. I've, I've you know, been on... Uh, film festival juries before uh, multiple times and a lot of short films can be pretty rough and I was pleasantly surprised that uh, like pretty much every you know there was some range of quality but uh, most of the shorts were really awesome 
And there was actually one short that was extraordinary. It was called Just Go. It was directed by Pavel Gumenikov. Uh, it was a Latvian uh, short film. And the plot summary is a young man who lost both legs in a childhood accident comes to the rescue of the girl next door. This dude who uh, had lost both of his legs, like uh, uh, his neighbor, his female neighbor, has her purse snatched. And the dude is able to like chase down the thieves and like apprehend them. <laughs> Without any legs, and it's it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen on screen. Um, so anyway, that short film was amazing. Is it an action movie? Yeah, it's kind of like an action short film, uh, uh, but with a guy who is uh, differently abled than most people. It's and, like Blind Fury, but for legs. Yeah, it was it was amazing uh, to watch. So I'd highly recommend it. I don't know if it's available right now, but it's called Just Go, and it's directed by Pavel Gumendikov. Uh, and I'll just say, you know, one other word about seeing my short film uh, projected on a big screen. It's an awesome experience. You know, like seeing your short film uh, engaged with, pe- seeing people laugh at it, seeing people react to it. It it sounds trite and sounds, you know, uh, maybe slightly silly, but it made the six-hour drive worth it, you know, yeah. even even though nice. the short film is only eight minutes long. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it wasn't like we just went to – uh, we just went to see the short film. We also uh, went hiking, and we met some people there at the Ben Film Festival. Uh, so it was a great time. It was, it was an awesome little festival. I mean, it's in terms of length and uh, scope. You know, I think it lasts like four, three or four days, whereas the Seattle Film Festival lasts like twenty-five days. So it's not a, a huge festival, but the programming is awesome. And it's great to be kind of out in nature in a beautiful place. So I'd recommend it if you're around the area. I also want to point out that um, a Slash Filmcast listener named Seth uh, came out, I I assume, uh, just to say hi and meet me because I don't know that he would have gone to the family shorts at 10 a.m. on Saturday otherwise. um, (laughs) But he did come up and said he was a big fan. And so, Seth, appreciate you saying hi. appreciate you coming out to the festival. So, uh, okay. All that said, I did have a chance to watch a movie called Mr. Roosevelt. Have you guys heard of this movie? No. This is uh, a uh, movie directed by Noelle Wells, who, if you don't know who that is, uh, she was on Master of None Season 1. She played Aziz Ansari's character's girlfriend. Uh, I think she was on Saturday Night Live for like a season. Um, And she wrote and directed this movie called Mr. Roosevelt, which I thought was delightful. It actually won the, I think, the special jury prize or something at the Benfield Festival uh, for narrative fiction. It's a very funny, uh, very touching movie about uh, Noel Wells' character, who's kind of like a version of Noel Wells, going through like this quarter-life crisis, going back home uh, after a long time away in uh, Los Angeles trying to make it in, the sh- in show business. Uh, and I thought it was very funny, very astutely observed. It played at South by Southwest, um, and I as- assume that you'll be able to see it at some point, but wanted to give a shout-out to Mr. Roosevelt, written and directed by Noah Wells. I thought it was hilarious. So uh, that's what I've been watching this week. Went to Ben Film Festival, uh, saw uh, the documentary, The Confession Tapes. Devinder Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Oh, I've been checking out this uh, new series on Netflix called Mindhunter. And uh, this is not to be confused with Manhunter or Manhunt. I think that's the other one. Uh, no, there, there is there is actually a, an extremely terrible movie called Mind yes. Hunters. Oh, there's a, that too. A 2004 movie directed by Rennie Harlan, which is oh, an atrocious man. movie. Atrocious. Rennie movie. Harlan. Yeah. Um, this show 
uh, it's not. Uh, it's produced, and a couple episodes are directed by David Fincher, which is what really got me on board. Uh, but it's created by Joe Pennell, who uh, wrote the screenplay for The Road, I believe, and a couple other films recently. Uh, it is set in the 70s, and it's about two FBI agents who are basically um, sort of like a, at the early stages of investigating criminal science and forensics and psychology and things like that. Like, just figuring out how serial killers think as like the nature of crime was changing. And in many ways, this movie, uh, this show feels like a successor to a Zodiac, uh, just in terms of like the process of it and how it dives into uh, criminal psychology and how the law enforcement side has to deal with it. Uh, it stars Jonathan Groff, who is in Glee and a bunch of other things. Also Holt McCallney, who I love uh, just, he's a great character actor seeing him in a bunch of things, but also nice to see him reuniting with Fincher after uh, fight club and alien three. Um, they're a great pair. They're sort of like a, it's a buddy cop thing. Uh, McKinley is the older cop. Jonathan Groff is the younger one. Who's like really eager to learn all this stuff. And it's really them like just going, traveling around the country, trying to uh, teach uh, law enforcement about these new techniques. while also maybe solving some of the more crazier crimes there. And the show looks amazing. At least the two episodes I've seen from, from Fincher so far. And uh, just it's well written. Like it, it feels like a good Netflix show. It's not astounding, but it's really fun to watch. And it's the sort of thing that will compel you to keep watching. Uh, I've talked to several people who've finished this entire series over the last weekend. It's very bingeable. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. So I think uh, Dave in particular, you will like it. Like it's very Fincher-esque. Um, really, like really dives into the FBI stuff really well in terms of like how they do their jobs. And the scenarios, the like serial killer scenarios here are just so messed up and kind of original too. Like I've been getting sick of this stuff, uh, but this feels re uh, refreshing in a way. So worth checking out for sure. All right. Well, that's Mind Hunter on Netflix. Not to be confused with Mind Hunters and uh, it's or Manhunt, or Man which Hunt. is another FBI show. I yeah. think. Uh, yeah. Or, <laughs> or that, House uh, Hunters. On or HGTV. House Hunters. <laughs> or what is mm. that? Uh, what is that? Uh, Manhunter, right? The right. Uh, yep. Yep. the Thomas Harris. Uh, story with which Michael, is which Michael is Mann. amazing yeah, yeah. Uh, mindhunter actually feels like a prequel to to the stuff we saw in Manhunter. it's a it's a sequel to zodiac and a prequel to manhunter yeah is mindhunter sure sure mind that hunter. okay i gotta enunciate more <laughs> uh all right that's mindhunter on netflix jeff canada what have you been watching this week well i watched uh the netflix original film uh the Meyerowitz stories Meyerowitz. Myerowitz. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is the new Mighty's... Noah Baumbach movie, right? I love Noah Baumbach. I, <laughs> I adore him as a filmmaker. And I am of the opinion that he's getting better. He's getting better. Like his, his early stuff was great. But While We're Young, I think is my favorite of his movies. And it's, mm -hmm. I think, the most recent one he, he made. It was on uh, my Mistress list. Mistress America, too. I didn't see that yet. That's I've really heard, good. I've heard that. that's great. I'm really. Yeah. Uh, I want to. I got to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, but I, I always pay attention to what he's doing. Uh, While you were young was was on my list of favorite movies in 2014, and uh, you know he he's brilliant in my opinion, and I think this movie is one of my favorites of his. It is a work of art. It's beautiful. It's got incredible performances across the board. What an amazing cast. It's mm -hmm. crazy to me that this is a Netflix film, right? This this is 
This is one uh, Oscar worthy. I think um, Dustin Hoffman could easily be nominated for this performance. I think a lot of the people in this movie, honestly, yeah. could be nominated. This, if this was a big fall uh, Oscar pushed kind of theatrical release, I, I would believe it. it. It feels like that kind of movie. And I adore it. I adore it. I It moved me. It made me laugh. It made me think. It's about a family, uh, two brothers and a sister, all sort of from different mothers. And this patriarch, who is uh, Dustin Hoffman, who is this sculptor of little renown, but is is a giant in his own mind. And it kind of sits this sits at this intersection between Woody Allen and Wes Anderson, right? It's it's kind of got that family angst of Wes Anderson, but that New York intellectual, mm-hmm. full of themselves Woody Allen world thing that I, I've always been enamored with, and I've always sort of secretly wished I. I it was a very aspirational place for me in college. Like I wanted to be in that world of, you know. Uh, uh, intellectualism and and our art and people who had big conversations about big topics and went from art gallery opening to new hot restaurant to you know that that world is very um attractive to me it's a, it's an amazing thing to see in films and this it, it lives right there but it also is a tragic tale of somebody who never really achieved what they thought and they're and kind of passed along that failure and angst to their kids and mistreated them in very, very, uh, atypical ways. I think very ways that you don't usually see in, in depicted in films because he's, he thinks he's a loving father. He thinks he's a great guy, but he is sort of emotionally abusive to them in, in, in really fan, fantastic ways. And it, man, it is, it's an amazing thing. It stars Adam Sandler who delivers a wonderfully nuanced and subtle performance. I don't think I've ever really seen Adam Sandler like this, even in punch drunk love. This is a, I think a real step forward for him as, as an actor. Uh, and, um, uh, Emma Thompson plays an amazing character in this movie. Like she's transformed. Um, uh, also, uh, an actress, uh, God, what is her name? Um, Oh, Elizabeth Marvel. Is that her name? Uh, yeah. Elizabeth Marvel. The, the daughter. Yeah. Who I knew yeah. from, uh, from house of cards who is <laughs> <laughs> in that show is such a powerhouse, such a force to be reckoned with this like strikingly bold and, and take no prisoners, female politician. And in this movie she is couldn't be more different than that she's mousy and and emotionally uh damaged and kind of withdrawn it's just a transformation and i, I was really impressed with her she's performance. hilarious in this movie yeah yeah so yeah. What, what are your thoughts you agree with jeff on this one uh you know i so i'm not as much of a bombac fan but i've warmed up to his stuff uh, more recently like uh after um while we're young and I really like Francis Ha I really like Mistress America and I think he's just evolving in a good way his earlier stuff definitely felt like it was stuck in this like sad intellectualism that was about broken families and it's it's interesting but it never really connected with me and I think his newer stuff is getting better uh, I really enjoyed this one I it's not nearly as warm a film as something like Francis Ha or Mistress America 
Um, but it's a very like nuanced thing. And it's definitely a portrait of a family that is like broken in so many ways. And it's sort of like how they have to come together in a time of crisis. And I typically like those stories. Uh, it's a good family tale in that respect. And it's really great to see Adam Sandler doing a great dramatic role again, like after so much junk. Like, so much junk. Like, after all the Netflix, like, his other Netflix stuff. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those things. No. Um, like, the Western one. I, I watched that yeah, to do, no. like, a, a commentary thing at some point. That was garbage. Like, it is nice to see that Adam Sandler can still do this. And, yeah, the combination of, yeah, him, uh, Ben Stiller, and Elizabeth Marvel as these sort of, like, uh, as siblings who are strange and who aren't or who are connected but not really connected in a close way. Um, I think that's all pretty well done. Um, this is the sort of story that can be tiring though. Like if the Woody Allen type of movie of like smart people saying things and maybe thinking they're smart, but just being like obnoxious about it. Uh, there's a lot of that, but I think it's self-aware of that too. Uh, like the Dustin Hoffman character, you know, he thinks, uh, he has big ideas about himself. He's very narcissistic and it is kind of, to me, it was heartbreaking to see like how he actually treated his kids and how he, in a way was always competing with them. It's a, it's a complex movie and it's kind it of heartbreaking heart. in ways. It, it, yeah. It has real heart. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not a cold, sterile look at, at, at intellectualism. It, it's, it's really a beautiful movie in my opinion. And, um, there's a, there's a scene. Uh, I feel like this is the movie we should have reviewed this week instead <laughs> of the movie you're about to hear us review. Uh, but there's How a scene <laughs> early on where, with Adam Sandler and his daughter in the film, uh, sitting at a piano mm-hmm. playing a song that they wrote when she was nine, supposedly in the, in the history of the film. And it is such a beautiful, sweet, wonderful moment. This original little song, uh, I don't know. I, the, the movie is full of, of, of unexpected gems like that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's, it's harsh and it's about these people bashing heads a lot, but it's also really tender and nuanced. Uh, I just was blown away by it. It's probably going to be in my list of favorite films mm-hmm. of the year. I, I really like that. I'm saying learn this too. Um, because he plays a guy who, basically devoted his life to raising his daughter too. And honestly, that's the stay at home father perspective. I don't think we really get to see too much in films and TV and it's handled here in a way that, you know, he he's trying to get back to work now, but it's handled respectfully in a way that I kind of appreciated. I think Dustin Hoffman is brilliant in this movie too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the Meyerowitz stories. And it's available right now on Netflix, right? Streaming on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, uh, it's actually it's in some theaters. So this is uh, better than what Netflix used to do with the releases. Cool. Um, you know, this reminds me of like another video on demand movie. Like there's a movie I wanted to watch in time for today. I didn't get around mm-hmm. to. Uh, Brawl on Cell Block 99. Did you guys hear about this movie? Yeah, I really yeah. want to see that yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, this is the new movie by the guy who directed Bone Tomahawk. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard I divisive things, that. but enough to make me want to see it. So yeah. th- that if we have a slow week, that could be one of the things we end up watching. Indeed. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. You're going to miss out. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. I might be back for like a bonus episode. I, I, I still have, you know. Uh, <laughs> we'll I, see. We'll see. I still uh, kind of am hoping that me and Matt Singer can review Geostorm at some point, but I don't know if that's oh, going to happen. Um, you know, do after, that to yourself. Yeah, it it does look terrible. If I think that would make a hilarious bonus episode, seeing ads for that movie after 
literally everything that's happened over the past couple of months seems insane, by the way. Like, just <laughs> well, California's really... on fire, and, and Puerto Rico's still a mess, and we have multiple storms. It's, oh, man. They've really pivoted, I think, to the idea of, like, man-made. It's man-made <laughs> disasters, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, that's certainly not something we have familiarity with on Earth. Yeah. So, right. uh, okay. Well, <laughs> anyway, that's what we've been watching this week. Uh, I want to actually uh, take a moment to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. want to thank uh, specifically John Carr for his very generous donation and Murayama Asuka. Uh, for their donation as well. Um, and you can always donate to the Slash Filmcast by going to slashfilm.com and clicking on the Slash Filmcast tab using the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, or just go to uh, paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash and then the word filmcast. Uh, those are some ways to donate to this podcast. And all the money you donate goes to helping us defray the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show. Uh, all that said, let's get to this week's edition of the Slash Film Court. Slash Film The Slash Film Court, for those of you who don't know, is our quasi-weekly segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. Gotten a lot of Slash Film Court emails recently. Uh, a bunch of Slash Film Court emails about feet. Uh, you guys may have seen some of these about feet, like people taking their shoes off in a theater, right? Uh, we've talked yeah. about feet before. Devinder, what's your go-to action for people who take off their shoes in a the theater? I, I honestly, I've never seen that. And I don't know what the action is there because it's not like in a plane. I feel like it's worse, right? Because it, it is more of an enclosed environment and you're probably trapped next to this, this person and people who take off their shoes on planes tend to like start sitting cross-legged and then their feet get closer to you. Uh, <laughs> in a theater, I feel like that's less of an issue. Uh, I, my I, bigger I, thing. I agree. Kind of live and let live yeah. situation with yeah. the feet if, if it's not fine. directly bothering you. There are I so many other smells shoes. in the theater. Like, that's the thing. Indeed. I was going to say, I take off my shoes on planes, but it's really more that Bluff Blanada guy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, is that, I don't. Is that a no-no? Uh, I, yeah, I actually I do like taking off shoes on planes, If uh, but you got to wear socks. That's well, yeah, of course you wear socks. The, yeah, the worst socks. thing, the thing I keep seeing a lot is is the barefoot on the plane. And then then walking no. to the bathroom. No. Oh, you might as well burn your feet off. Might as well just burn again. your feet uh, off. All right, guys. My this... trouble with the feet uh, in theaters, just want to say, is uh, is when people put them up on the headrest. Yeah. Because people put pretty, their heads there. Pretty bad. Don't pretty bad. Uh, all, right, all right, guys. Uh, this is the real email. This one actually comes in from Neil, who who actually it looks like they uh, private messaged the slash film Facebook page, which is like a very bad okay. way of uh, getting this to us. You really want to email <laughs> us at slash filmcast at gmail uh, Of course, they messaged this to us a month ago. That's why we're just getting around to this because we didn't get it until until recently. Uh, and I will say that this is probably going to be one of our easier cases, guys. This one comes in from <laughs> Neil in the United Kingdom. Neil writes in, Whenever me and my partner go to the cinema and one of us needs to use the bathroom during the film, we discreetly FaceTime each other so the person going to the bathroom can watch the movie as the other films, uh, <laughs> as the, other films the screen. <laughs> I personally feel you. there is nothing wrong with this, but after telling uh, my friends, they tell me I'm heading down a path that could get me thrown out. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Seeing as how David is always talking about his weak bladder affliction, <laughs> I feel that this would be something that would be of interest to future for future visits. First of all, am, am I always talking about my weak bladder affliction? I feel like I feel like we all talk about the need to go to the bathroom sometimes. I don't. The that doesn't sound don't like me. But okay. All right. Anyway, uh, Jeff Kanata, uh, FaceTiming during the movie no. so your partner wow. can see the movie while they're in the bathroom. Wow. No, how dare you? How dare you? We all make a decision, and there are repercussions for your decisions. If you decide to go and go to the bathroom, you have decided that you're not going to see – you're not going to get to see some crappy FaceTime version of what's going on in the – no, no, no. How dare yes. you? Yes, no. And that's, that's really the only thing here. Uh, I can understand the need to do it, but yeah, at, at some point you're going to get banned from the theater just by. I understand it. the 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 feeling that you you really feel like you're being clever and you figured this one out and you, <laughs> you came up with a great workaround for this whole problem. No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you are going to get. There, there's going to be a, a moment where that person goes, "You're recording our movie and get out of here." Yeah, I mean, it looks like you're filming. The movie and not FaceTiming the movie. So you, you definitely. I'm just FaceTiming the movie. <laughs> Don't get mad at me, sir. I'm just FaceTiming the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say that not only is this terrible faux pas for the people in the rest of the people in the theater, but you are imperiling your ability to even go to the movies by doing this, right? I mean, they could put you on the lifetime mm-hmm. banned list or something like I that. I want to yeah. be. I want to be in the bathroom with the guy in the stall and he- hear the movie coming from the stall from the guy's cell phone. <laughs> I want to be that dude and be like, what in the fuck is going on? I will say that one thing this does reinforce is the need for movie theaters to pipe in audio from the movie into bathrooms more often. Right, right. Uh, no. But- what? No. Because then I'm in a movie and I'm getting spoilers. I'm in a well, bathroom no. and I'm getting spoilers from a it, movie. It depends. Like if if they can do if it's a theater that's a, in such a way that the bathroom is right next to the theater, you're actually going to. Oh yeah, that yeah. is actually uh, the so better. They, way to they do, do this have, at the Cinerama in Seattle, which only has one screen. So right. You so know, you can't get spoiled for theater. a movie that you're not watching. Yeah. But if you had designated bathrooms for each movie, like <laughs> um, I'm here for uh, the Last Jedi. Oh, you want to go to bathroom six? <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff, you, you say that mockingly. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just go to the bathroom before the movie starts. It's not difficult. It's not, and Jeff, I, I'm surprised you are, are, are pointing this out, though, because <laughs> sometimes you got to go. Yeah, you got to go. go. You can't Blade anticipate. Runner 2049 <laughs> is seven hours long. You got to <laughs> go to the bathroom. I'm sometimes. an adult human who can anticipate my needs. I pee. I'm, I've had. A, yeah. Yes. Ye- I've had a full bladder in a movie. <laughs> I can hold it. Well, I've, okay. I've, I've, Let me ask you guys this. What is worse? Suffering through the full bladder, not knowing when the movie's going to end, constantly thinking about that pain and not really enjoying the movie, or running out, running to the bathroom for like three yeah. minutes. I'm with Devendra and, and on getting this one. back and actually enjoying the movie. I'd much rather do that. You know what's oh, you know what's crazy experience is I saw that movie The Witch, uh, the horror film, <laughs> twice in theaters, and one time the first time I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the movie. And then I watched it a second time, and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm seeing a slightly different movie than I saw last time. <laughs> you know, like there's like scenes that I didn't see the first time. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, only anyway. had FaceTimed it. Yeah, I should have. All right. 
Anyway, thanks to Neil for writing into slash filmcast at gmail.com. You can always write in with your slash film court dilemmas to that address. Uh, Neil, stop FaceTiming your movies. It's a terrible idea. It's rude. And you're you're possibly going to get kicked out of the theater. So yeah. All right, nice short one. Let's get to our review of Happy Death Day. Hey, you're up. Look, I know this isn't going to make any sense. Stop global warming. Hey. I feel like I'm losing my mind. You sneaky little biash. Happy birthday. I've already lived through this day. Somebody's going to kill me tonight. So you can hear now. <gasps> Is everything okay? Can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You. Reality on demand. Start your one month free trial now. That was from the trailer of Happy Death Day, the new film by director Christopher Landon. Uh, according to the plot summary on IMDb, a college student relives the day of her murder with both its unexceptional details and terrifying end until she discovers her killer's identity. This is a slash film cast, and joining us today. You may have seen him in shows such as HBO Silicon Valley as well as Netflix's One Day at a Time. He's currently on the show White Famous on Showtime. Stephen Tobolowsky, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Stephen, how are you doing today? I am feeling so good, David, and it's such a shock. Shock to the system to be back on Slash Film. It must be a special occasion. It's a special, oh, yeah. oh, it's a special occasion, all right. So uh, I want to <laughs> kick this off, this review off, by reading this email Written in to slash filmcast at gmail.com by Wadji. <laughs> One of my favorite emails Wadji. in recent memory. Okay, Wadji writes in, You guys made me watch that movie, Happy Death Day. I just came <laughs> back from watching it. I only watched it because you guys said you would review it, so you better review it. I would never waste money on a PG-13 horror movie aimed at teens. I'm a 31-year-old man, and I watched this movie alone <laughs> as no one else would come with me to see this movie because it's a PG-13 horror movie aimed at teens. I was completely uncomfortable throughout, and please review this movie or I will feel completely duped. It actually wasn't completely awful, though. Thank you kindly. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that email sentence. comes from Waji at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Uh, let, me, let me say this. When I suggested this crazy idea for Stephen Tobolowsky to, to review Happy Death Day with us, uh, I did not know that it was aimed at teens. <laughs> um, I mean, is it, is it even really aimed at teens? I don't know. I mean, it's a PG-13 movie, and I'll say that there was sure. a significant uh, contingent of teenage girls sitting behind me during my screening <laughs> that really, really enjoyed the film. Uh, so uh, anyway, I, I didn't know that it was aimed at teens. That being said, I think it made more money than Blade Runner in theaters this weekend. Um, it, did it, man. Despite, despite costing less than $5 million to make – whereas Blade Runner cost $155 million. That said, I think we'll be talking about Blade Runner 2049 more uh, 30 years from now than we are talking about Happy Death Day. Uh, okay, all that said, Stephen Tobolowsky, one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is, is this is a movie that, uh, let's just say, it is inspired, inspired in some way by Groundhog Day. Can say that? <laughs> L- lifts literally... <laughs> 
Straight I up want, steals. I want to say, can they do that? Sure. It's illegal for them to do this. St- I mean, St- Stephen texted me on Saturday <laughs> out of the blue, like with no context. And he just says, can they do that? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, can they just steal it without do- saying it? And they just acknowledged it? <laughs> well, they do say, I mean, at the end, they do acknowledge, they say like, well, this whole thing that you just told me, rem- well, is that in the spoiler category? It's probably in the spoilers, it. but it's okay. Yeah, they, yeah, say, yeah. they say, okay, they, just- they, they call out Groundhog Day in yeah. the actual movie itself. And they mention Bill Murray and she says, I never heard of him. <laughs> Right. Clearly, this is some alternate universe, right? And, and he says, and he says, well, you got to see this, uh, <laughs> opening the door to their future relationship. That mm-hmm. their future relationship will be one of the first important nights in Carter's life. Mm. Is is going to be seeing Groundhog Day with mm-hmm. her, and probably having a very hot makeout session <laughs> afterwards with both of their clothes on because it's PG thirteen. Well, Stephen, let, let me ask. Let me ask you this. Let's get to the the ending of this movie later on during spoilers. But let me yeah. ask you: There have been many movies that have made use of the repeating day trope. Uh, you know, Edge of Tomorrow or Life uh, Live Die Repeat, Source Code, Time Crimes, Triangle, Twelve O One, the Jonathan Silverman classic. You know, there's been a lot of movies that make use of this trope, and I, <laughs> and you've seen. Uh, I assume some of these movies, uh, yeah. none of them, in my opinion, is as good as Groundhog Day. So I, I guess my question for you is what separates the good ones from the bad ones, in your opinion, if there are any good ones? And do you think Happy Death Day is one of the good ones? Uh, I'll answer the last part first. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question. Happy Death Day is a good one. And the the reason is, is that in any of these kind of Groundhog Day Ripoff. Oh, I didn't mean to say ripoff movie. <laughs> but any of these Groundhog Day based movies, the audience is way ahead of the film, right? So they they already know what the ending of the film is probably going to be in its general outline, if not its specifics, at the onset. So what I found interesting about Happy Death Day and the, and the use of the Groundhog Day formula is that the closer. They followed the formula the more successful the film was. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a good formula. <laughs> for example, when, when again, I don't know if this goes in the spoilers point. You could black it out. Uh, <laughs> there is always in these movies the day in which she realizes she has to change her personality like Bill Murray has to change his personality, like Tom Cruise figures like he has to change his strategy. And those days, those particular days, are always the most entertaining in those films. Uh, in Happy, and it's true in this film, Happy Death Day. The day she decides to change her personality had more gotcha moments and more of the larger picture ideas uh, that are in this movie happen on that day. Uh, and ironically, the more they strayed. From the Groundhog Day formula, uh, the more the film would fail. For example, Groundhog Day doesn't really bother to explain anything at mm. all. Yeah. And in Happy Death Day, when they explain like, oh, well, I got to go back and do this day again, or Carter's going to be in bump, 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 big trouble. You know, it, w- the more they try to explain the unexplainable, that that there is no real reason why this day is repeating, 
the more the film kind of gets bogged down in false kind of logic to make to make it make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Hmm. And the more it doesn't make sense, the more it works. All right. Uh, well, Jeff Kanata, I think you had a real come to Jesus moment about seeing this movie at all. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. you texted <laughs> us. You texted us, and you were like, "I don't, you know, if we're not a hundred percent sure going to have Stephen on to talk about this, I'm not going to see this movie." <laughs> so you you ended. We got Stephen on. You ended up going to see it. Uh, yes, and so by do myself you... <laughs> in a theater, like our, like our emailer, very similar. Do you regret that decision or did you find there enough quality goodness here, uh, to merit a, a viewing of this movie in theaters? Uh, I would have happily lived my entire life not having seen this movie, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it also wasn't awful. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like transformers insult my time style. Um, <laughs> I, but it cannot be overstated how direct a ripoff of Groundhog Day this is. <laughs> I mean, there is literally a Ned Ryerson character. There's now, like this. Now, who the, did you think the Ned Ryerson character was? The woman that wants her to sign the petition every time she walks out of the room, right? Oh. It's basically your character, right? It could be. And I was it it could be. Someone pointed that out to me, but I, I felt like I was so much taller than she was. And, <laughs> yes. And but had so also much more I, charm. The the woman who was the irritating head of the sorority mm. used the phrase anywho uh-huh. many right. times, which uh-huh. is the phrase I put in that movie. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the movie we call Groundhog Day. Your, your greatest think, contribution to cinema history, I think. Was any the word anywho. Yes. I, I, I said anywho, and she uses that several times. So I'm thinking if we are taking the position of of when she encount when uh, Jessica encounters me in her repeat of the day, yes, the girl uh, trying to save the world would be me. But if we take the irritation factor, the <laughs> fact that Ned was enormously irritating, right. the woman who's head of the sorority was that irritating factor that you continually have to deal with. Interesting. No, very, very astute. Uh, either way, it's a direct ripoff. And, <laughs> and the the fact that the movie calls it out does not excuse it. In fact, and this will have to you know circle back on in spoilers, but there are a couple of things actually that this movie calls out. And I'm like, no, no, you can't. You, no, you don't get away with that. Just Hey, it's a plot hole, but we said it. So get out of jail free card because we acknowledged it. No, I'm sorry. That doesn't it doesn't work that way. But I will say, I think um, the lead actress, who I'm sorry, I, I didn't have the IMDb in front of me. I didn't get her Jessica name. Roth, yeah, Jess, uh, who plays Jessica Roth. Yeah, Tree Geldman. Tree? Um, why is her name Tree? Do we know why her name's Tree? Nope. It just yeah, parents are hippies. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, I th- I think she was one of the uh, women that was uh, like one of Emma Stone's characters' friends in La La Land in that like opening. Uh, I think she is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she is very mm-hmm. charming. I think I, I was actually really thought she had a, a lovely transformation from you know despicable, self-absorbed to lovable and and um, likable. You know, I think that that's not an easy thing to pull off, and she and she did a good good job with that. I actually found her very charming. Can, but can I the, throw in something quickly on Jessica? Please, yeah. yeah uh, I had feelings as I was watching her that she could be the woman of the future. Mm. Uh, watching her in this film, she is a per- she is an actress who is 
kind of angry, impulsive, not sexy, and not even likable as a character. But, but she carries this film so beautifully because what you said, she has the ability to transform mm-hmm. and become our heroine. And I'm sitting there wondering, because I happened to spend the weekend with Jessica uh, in South Dakota. When I was just in South Dakota, at the film festival there, she was there, and they were airing another feature of hers, Tater Tot and Patton, in mm. which she plays an angry, impulsive, not sexy, and not even likable woman, like she does in this film, but her transformation is palpable. And as an audience member, I sat in both films, and I was very moved by her in both performances. Yeah. It was her ability to grab me and show her transformation in both of these films. And I think she's going to be a force out there. I think she's going to be the woman of the future. Oh, that's a wonderful endorsement. Yeah. I, I came away feeling similarly. I, I really thought she was great. Um, and you know, there was a period in the what? early nineties where we got like die hard in a blank, right? Die hard on a boat, die hard on a bus. Uh-huh. There was die hard in a, right. And now we're sort of getting groundhog day in a, or get groundhog, groundhog day, day in a college, a, groundhog day in a futuristic battlefield. War. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is the, I think the conceit here is groundhog day in a horror film. Right. Uh-huh. Right. But this movie but like is, it can't be a can't be horror film. It's not barely like, a horror film. Yeah, I, I actually think that's a kind of an interesting idea, right? You relive the same day. You get horribly murdered at the end of the day over and over and you have to figure out your own. kill. That's a really compelling premise. It's a fun, fun premise. But the movie just phones in so much of the horror stuff. It really doesn't care about that. It's really being Groundhog Day too much, I think, to even be remotely scary. Because it's never scary. It's just, it's silly. <laughs> it's a goofy. slasher movie, man. Uh, but but yeah. it's not even really a slasher movie. I mean, I, I guess the PG-13 holds it yeah. back a little bit. But also, like, the the deaths are never, I mean, there's a couple <laughs> that are mildly interesting. But <laughs> it doesn't even, it, it just doesn't do that half of its genre justice, I think. Um, so I, I think the movie fails there. It. I really want to talk in spoilers about how it ends uh, because I cry foul a little bit about that. But <laughs> overall, it's a it's it's kind of a trifle, and it's it wasn't a, a offensive, and the charm of the lead actress kind of carried it for me. And I, you know, it was fine. But again, I could have easily gone my whole life without not, without seeing it and not felt like I missed out. Devendra Hardor, what about you? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty much in line with you guys. I thought it was, uh, it's a good film. It's not a great movie. And I think uh, I could have watched this at home easily and I gotten the same effect from it. But there were things I definitely like about it. I do like Jessica Roth. Uh, it's just like a great performance. Very 90s, kind of reminded me of Sarah Michelle Gellar in Buffy in a way. Uh, there's a lot of like Whedonisms throughout. Uh, I think the script has some moments that really sparkle. Um, it's funny. Like, it's a funny movie. Um, most of the cast, I think, does a good job of playing their roles, uh, be it the, like, uh, you know, the head of the sorority, the really annoying one. Um, they really, and I think you learn to love to hate that character in a way, too, because she is very much that character. So I had a lot of fun with the movie in that respect. Uh, I think the least fun I had with this movie is kind of the audience. Uh, it wasn't a teen audience, but I saw it in Union Square, which means I was surrounded by NYU students. 
And uh, they are not the best crowd in New York movies. They're, they're the worst. Uh, so I was surrounded by them. Uh, but my wife like, and I went. What, and what makes them the worst? Like they're texting or they're talking or. They basically don't know how to exist in social spaces, I guess. So, yeah, there is texting. <laughs> there is like obnoxious laughing at nothing at like the dumbest things or like the the really cruel things that the movie does occasionally. Or like I think there were occasional like racist jokes where like one girl sitting right next to me, even though most of the uh, theater was empty. Uh, for some reason, everybody really wanted to get in that like one row. Um, would just like laugh at the dumbest things or like the most racist things in the movie. Um, yeah, things like that. And yeah, in general, people texting people like, uh, uh, there was one guy that I appreciated. He dimmed his screen all the way down. So he was texting throughout the entire movie, but you know, he, he tried to hide it. It wasn't like glaring. That's, that's respect. I, I give him that. Uh, that's the least I could ask for in today's like movie going environment. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, I thought the movie was fun. Um, there was a point where I thought it was going to be very dumb about how it solved this whole mystery. And I was secretly wishing to myself that it wouldn't just do it this way. And then it kind of changed things up a little in a way that you probably expect, but I appreciate that too. And I think the movie has a decent amount of heart, right? There is some emotional catharsis for this character, uh, for what she's going through. It doesn't explain why she's going through it. Um, I actually kind of like the internal logic that this movie, um, built up, right? Cause there's a point where, um, I don't know if it's spoiler, but there are consequences for what's happening to her. And we never really saw that in Groundhog's Day and certainly not like um, Edge of Tomorrow either. So the idea that, you know, this is happening, but it's finite and, you know, you have to solve this thing and there's a time limit to it. Just slight changes of the rules, I think, were kind of interesting. And also the idea that, oh, yeah, I I did this playthrough wrong. I'm going to have to start over again because uh, <laughs> I don't want this guy to be dead. Uh, you know, those kinds of things were fun. So I thought overall it's a, it's a fun movie, a great script, and a really good lead performance. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say a few things, and then let's get to spoilers for this. Uh, I, I am, yeah, right there with you, kind of. Like, I, I, I was... Uh, every single time the movie did something pretty interesting, it also did something that kind of undercut its interestingness, in my opinion, like, or, or that reminded me uh that this is a movie targeted at juveniles like there is a there's like a campus rape joke in the movie that i just thought was an extremely poor taste that i was like maybe that would have been funny if i was like you know in middle school and it was like 20 years ago you know like but it just there's stuff that i'm just like oof like i'm really feeling the fact that this is not a movie that's for me uh that said i thought that uh, the movie overall uh, is ha- has enough new and interesting things uh, that I, I would recommend it if you're interested in the concept mm-hmm. of Groundhog Day in a horror movie. I will just say one other thing, and then and then we can get to spoilers, which is that uh, it, it you know the whole time I was watching this, I was knowing Stephen Tobolowsky might be on on this podcast with us, and I was thinking that like w- to to compare Groundhog Day to this because Groundhog Day is a movie that has stood the test of time. You know, regarded by many people as one of the best films of all time, uh, certainly one of the best comedies of all time. And I was thinking, like, what is it that separates Groundhog Day from a movie like 1201? Uh, have you guys seen 1201, the Jonathan Silverman? No, uh, I have not. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a very good movie. Um, it came out in 1993, and it's basically about this dude reliving his day. And, you know, I was thinking, like, what, what separates a movie like Groundhog Day from 1201 or from Happy Death Day? And I think the answer is, well, one of many... Uh, reasons is that like the the style that Groundhog Day is shot in is very classic, you know. Whereas Happy Death Day, it, it is very much a movie of its time. Like the 
the shooting techniques and the editing techniques. Uh, like there's a lot of Dutch angles and you know uh, a lot of like mm-hmm. uh, CG and, and and things that I think are going to horribly date the film in ten twenty years that I, I think Groundhog Day doesn't really have. I mean Groundhog Day has like technology from back then, but but it, it's not like the style of the movie is uh, is very timeless in my opinion. Uh, Dave, just to your point, I think the filmmaking itself is is a good point, but I think it's the least of what separates. Uh, in my mind, a classic like Groundhog Day from something like this. Right. The script, uh, clearly, right? This, well, I, I think in, in particular with this formula, this idea, this concept, it's all about setups and payoffs, right? And the setups and payoffs in Groundhog Day are so wonderful. And the the depth of the rabbit hole that Groundhog Day goes down, you know, the idea that Bill Murray is living this day thousands of times, mm-hmm. right? Uh, infinitely like he has been doing this so long that he you know he he has he feels like he's a god right, right. he's mastered uh, things yeah i think i think in our movie uh tree does does it what 12 times you know it's like <laughs> it's not it's a, yeah, it's a yeah. different scale right and it right and i think it's an exploration mm-hmm. of a really attractive idea in groundhog day like what would you do if you were immortal, had mm-hmm. infinite time, but were trapped in this horrible place, yeah. right? It, it's a much it, more existential story, I think, right? Something yeah. that we could all apply and be like, man, th- this is deep. Right, because in Groundhog Day, what, what you come to is ultimately it's about who we are and how we treat other people, right? That's what he comes to. He does everything else. He explores every other avenue. He becomes the wealthiest man. He steals the, the money from the, the truck. He gets all the women he could possibly want. He figures out how to say the right thing to any woman. He, he Any other external id desire that he might mm-hmm. want to partake in, he figures it out. And nothing is good enough until he starts actually like being good to other people. And that is the only value that he finds from having immortality and infinite time, Right. And I think that's a wonderful universal takeaway and what mm-hmm. makes a classic a classic here. None of that. Right. None of that. There's no there's, there aren't themes that that transcend like that. And I think that's what makes a classic a classic. Mm. Well said, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's Very talk more. Well said. Let, let's talk more about uh, Happy Death Day and spoilers. Uh, so let's get to okay. spoilers for the film starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. I was going to jump on something Devendra said uh, about the cast. I thought, when you're in a film like this, a Groundhog Day-type film... One of the big treats for an actor is being able to redo these scenes over and over again, making slight variations. And I thought the supporting cast in Happy Death Day was delightful. I I thought I thought all the different people in the movie just seemed to have the best time in the world. Oh yeah. Even, even the girl saving the world out front, even the guy with the sunglasses. It, there <laughs> there were so there were so many pleasurable performances that that I could see those people were relishing and and I thought that bravo to them I just mm-hmm. wanted to say that it, 
uh, Stephen, could you could you give us some insight about how that is generally shot? Like, do those people do you just shoot all the variations in a row? You know, you come on your day and you shoot, you know, fourteen different uh, sunglass guy moments. Is that how it works? I, I think uh, I felt in Happy Death Day they probably did just because of the budget. I was trying to look to see the various differences of the day and groundhog day, for example, Bill and I shot street scenes for a month. Wow. Uh, on wow. a, you know, d- depending on the weather conditions, we, we shot it for a month because the day had to be the same. Mm. And I had the feeling they filmed her walk from the, the dorm and, and the cavalcade of little trivial events that she sees at the beginning of that day. I felt they did it over and over and over again that day. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. They rehearsed it and they shot it all. And that was the cheapest way to do it. (laughs) The weather matches every time. It's amazing. (laughs) Yes. It's amazing. But, uh, I, I do think you're right that the supporting cast does do a great job. Like they sold the idea that every single day is the same, which, you know, isn't that hard because actors are used to doing the same thing over and over again. But you, you do feel it in this movie, especially when she wakes up with Carter there every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was convinced that, you know, she was re- repeating the day, in fact. Well, um, one of the things that bothers me about these movies sometimes is when you see the character uh, wake up and then do something that clearly takes a significantly right. shorter amount of time yep. and then goes out and sees the exact same moments, you know? Yep. And that, I think that happened in this movie where there was a couple of times where she just busted out of that room and didn't dilly dally and didn't ask for anything. And, right. and yet, and yet, you know, sunglasses guy was in the same position <laughs> and all that stuff. So I was like, eh, well, you notice, well, you noticed, you noticed that, uh, they were very careful to lay in, various times in which the time did change. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It, on the, she got to her dorm room, uh, to say, Oh, longest, you know, Oh, you're finally where, where her roommate says, Oh, you're finally here. And it has her digital clock in the background. And at the first time she gets, you know, she says, Oh, I'm late for class. At first it's nine twelve. Then the next time she comes in, it's nine twenty. Next time she comes in, it's nine twenty two. So they were careful with certain details in the background to say exactly what you're saying, that her time, she was trying to throw her time off. And and they try to be true to that sort of through line at different parts of the movie. And and it, the payoff for that was supposed to be, since this is spoilers, mm-hmm. where she times the exact moment of when that blackout happens. Oh, right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's when she notices exactly what time that blackout happens and by having all the other times vary that that she notices it happened the same time each day when when the power comes on in her her room so that was interesting that they really clung on to that idea well look i'll say two things uh that two moments in this movie that i felt really elevated it from like a decent horror movie to something that was that gave me glimpses of greatness one of them was uh, the moment when she escapes from the hospital in the car, and she she has this yeah. joyous moment in the car that's all done, I think, in like one shot, where <laughs> she's celebrating that she she did it, she made it out of there, and she's so happy. And then she gets pulled over by a cop, and then the cop gets killed 
out of nowhere in, in a in a genuinely shocking moment to me. Like I, yeah. we knew that cop was gonna die somehow, but I didn't know that it would happen quite like that. Uh, so I, I thought that was a wonderful moment, a great piece of acting uh, by the the main lead. And then secondly, I I have to say I admit I did not see it coming that at the end of Ooh. his day where she redeemed herself. Uh-huh. That there was going to be another day, and and when uh-huh. she wakes up that next day, it is a horrifying moment because <laughs> you really do feel like, hey, she she went through everything, she did the thing, she, she did the Bill Murray thing, <laughs> she did everything she was supposed to do, and still didn't get out of the day. Yeah, uh, I Which did. is what happens in Groundhog yeah. Day. Yeah, yeah, that was the big surprise to me when that happened, and the way, but but I have to say that I saw that coming. <laughs> From the beginning of the film as to who the killer was. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how did I see that coming? Why did I see that coming? Because this is spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah, spoilers. Yes. Because her roommate was such a tall girl. (laughs) If if they had cast, if they had cast other tall women, but all the other women were like shrimps. And so (laughs) she she was the only tall girl and I go. Damn, that girl's tall. Oh, I bet you they're going to try to make her look like a guy. And <laughs> and I thought, you, you, you know, like I, she needed to be I someone like, that could plausibly be the killer. You're saying, yes, she yeah. had to be somebody big. She had to be somebody uh, who had access to sharp instruments. <laughs> so <laughs> this doesn't seem hard. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, so I, yeah, go ahead. They also kind of give us some clues early on, right? Once she starts trying to figure this out, it's like, oh, it has to be somebody who knows your birthday. It was like, oh, who have we seen so far in this movie? <laughs> and also, like every time she says "Happy Birthday" to uh, to the lead, it's a uh, the, there's a bit of creepiness to that performance that I think is either I can't tell if it's just like they're trying to force that this character is up to something or they're just portraying it badly. I can't tell, but you could tell, yeah, there was something up there in that performance. There was the thing that was, bothered me mm-hmm. is the the plan to give her a cupcake, which. Yeah. No, no one there supposedly eats cupcakes, and then they call that out at the end. It's like you can't, you know, you can't just say the big plot hole and just say, "Oh, is, isn't it hilarious that we have a big plot hole here?" I don't know. And doesn't pl- doesn't anybody watch Forensic Files? I mean, if she is going to poison the cupcake, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go in and check her stomach to see, oh, she ate strychnine. Oh, what did she just eat? Oh, a cupcake. Who the hell made this cupcake? Oh, you did. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a slam dunk. But, but you know, it doesn't follow the, re- the regular rules of forensics. I mean, you would, you would think she would do something more clever. But, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I did find, hey, here's something I really liked in the movie. I did find the fights enormously compelling. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I thought they were well staged. I thought they were. Uh, somebody once told me when you do fights, whether on stage or in film, there's only two ways to do them. You have to fight dirty, and uh, you you have to go for the kill in every in every move. There there could be no goofing around. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I thought in the fight at the end. They were really going for it. I thought in all the fights in the hospital, they were really going for it. And this is something else Jessica can do that that was very satisfying for me as an actress is that some of the gotcha moments, the big gotcha moments for me is, unlike a lot of these 
I, and I agree, it's not a slasher film, but a lot of these, she is, she did not once trip on her shoes and fall. <laughs> She's not going to be one of those women in almost every incarnation of this nightmare that she relives. She gives it to the killer. She either hits the killer in the head with a hammer, kicks the killer in the supposed nuts. If they were there, you know, <laughs> you know, they, you know, she gives it to him in more than one way. And in my audience of teenage girls and boys, they <laughs> applauded wildly at these moments. Yeah. And, and that is something that, that Jessica really can do with her persona is her anger and her passion in, in those fight scenes really carried the film, really made the day. And, and those film, those fight scenes were very impressive. Yeah, they were decently choreographed. I think there there's definitely one moment uh, on her supposedly good run because this is sort of like a uh, a, a game uh, you know a gamer who's trying to get their best run in the situation. Uh, but the point where she takes the cop, uh, basically what has a knife to the throat of a cop, and then points a gun at him, like that. I don't know if that's the best plan. Like, uh, <laughs> where do you go from here? Well, really? I, I mean, she also somehow kicked her roommate out of a window to her death and <laughs> everybody believed her story. About it. <laughs> well, yeah. they do have the cupcake. They have the they cupcake. Do. Yeah. They, have they the got that seconds. cupcake, Jeff. Although she's right back at the diner, like right after that madness and not at the police station for like hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how real, worse. you know, I gotta got be honest with you guys. I don't know how realistic the movie is. <laughs> I, I can't put tell. That out there. Well, also that great run where after she pointed the gun at the cops and she successfully killed the killer or shot the killer several times. Right. Uh, cut to her back in her dorm. Because I guess that situation's <laughs> all cleared up. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's something that, that kind of upset me. I'm thinking these people have never been in a hospital. The <laughs> filmmakers have never been in a hospital. For This is a note to the world. They don't turn the lights off at night in a hospital. <laughs> Just because it's, it's night, yeah. they don't take the, turn the lights out. And they're filled with people, especially at night, because that's when people get hurt and are drunk and they come to hospitals. Unless, and here, here is the point, unless, as you said, it's not a real hospital. And note to filmmakers, from my point of view, when you cross the line and announce to the audience that you're in a dream situation, like you have the not real hospital hospital, you you don't realize it, but you're removing Jeopardy from the film. You remove real Jeopardy from our heroine, and the only thing we have are either camera or sound assaults on our senses of things jumping out of the dark or loud noises, which make people jump but are very irritated, and it makes people not like your movie. So the thing is, there's more Jeopardy attached if you keep the hospital real. Mm. Well, here's a, here's another fact, though, Tobo. Uh, so I, I don't know how much you know about Blumhouse movies, uh, but essentially the whole model there is uh, rather than a big studio which makes you know five movies, each of which cost over $150 million, uh, Blumhouse model is to make uh, movies that are less than $5 million, but make like 30 of them, you know? Um, and so this movie costs, I think, under $5 million, uh, and there's probably a reason why they couldn't populate a hospital at night with tons of extras <laughs> is because they didn't have enough money. Uh, and so they, you know, very often, and I'm sure you've encountered this having worked on a wide variety of projects, like you run into a situation where you can't, 
the, the, your reach exceeds your grasp in terms of the vision for the film, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. which, yeah I, when I was leaving the film, a young man named Tony, Tommy Honton, who, who is a writer, he works in interactive theater, came running out of the audience and said, I just wanted to tell you how much I liked you in Groundhog Day and I couldn't believe you were watching this movie. What did you think? <laughs> and, and I said, well, can, can they do that? And then he started explaining to me the Blumhouse formula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what he told me, and it was very clear it, that they are very hip to the PG-13 formula, if you will. So there's never any nudity, never sex. They say vagina, which is okay to say, right? In the dorm room, they say yep. vagina. They say dickhead, <laughs> which is okay to say. And they and she takes off her shirt, revealing her black bra in the first very much in the first scene. So they front load that first scene with vagina with dickhead and her taking off her blouse. And then uh, she leaves the room increasingly fast, so the Asian roommate cannot really get vagina out. <laughs> but we say vagina in our heads, so we think the film is far more risky than it is. But what Tommy <laughs> w- Tommy was telling me is that when Blumhouse puts together their strategy, they target a specific audience, and he said this film, you could tell that they wanted to target every middle and high schooler in L.A. to see this film. And if they did that, they'd already be in profit. And from the size of the audience uh, that I saw this with, I think they were successful. Huh. Yeah, I, I, it I think makes it the perfect movie for us to review. <laughs> it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a big success, you know, financially, and it has a yeah. chance of making more money than, like I said, Blade Runner in the United States, which is crazy if you think about That's it. Hilarious. They know what they're trying to target. They know how to do it, and they know how to do it. At a very cheap price, uh, which is in this case under five million dollars. I'm glad that the filmmakers are going to do really well out of this, and I think the movie is certainly not a bad film. Jeff? Yeah, I want to circle back around to, the, to the, my central point about uh, setups and payoffs Please. because I, I felt like there was a, a few in this movie that were missed opportunities, and I guess you could say they were red herrings, uh, you know, specifically put in to throw you off the scent. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a little sloppy. Because there's clearly this big, big, big setup with the dad on the phone. Uh, and yes, she yes. reconciles with the dad. But it, it, it feels like a side story, a side quest that she's on that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. And it didn't – there was a sense of foreboding that she constantly misses his call. Like almost like he's trying to warn her through the whole beginning of the movie. And she just doesn't listen to the phone ringing. None of that is paid off satisfactorily in my opinion. Uh, also, there's a big constantly leaving behind the bracelet, which you feel like is a setup for at one point <laughs> not leaving behind the bracelet. But she never – nothing is ever made of that bracelet other than the fact that he keeps bringing it to her at that moment. But I don't understand why she would continue to leave it behind when she knows that she's leaving it behind at a certain point, especially, specifically in those early moments where she still doesn't like this guy. Uh, why doesn't she ever pick up that bracelet on her way out? <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a setup without a payoff, and yeah. it just it feels sloppy, and I don't uh, understand it. I find it funny, Jeff, that these are the things you're pointing to, though, um, because there is a serial killer in this movie. <laughs> 
who comes out of nowhere and is apparently the guy who killed her mother. It's like once this stuff started happening in the movie, it's like, oh no, yeah. what what is happening here? Well, yeah, uh, and so, he's 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 laying on the in, in the <laughs> hospital with a mask next to him for some reason, I guess. <laughs> sure. The mask is around. Um well no, she like the her roommate brings it to him uh and puts it oh, on his oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the yeah. flashback she the roommate puts it on his face and like kisses him on the mouth which See? is like pretty creepy yeah, it's all explained it's all it's all in there uh, but the, the serial killer thing i i had the sick feeling that oh no this is what the movie is actually about and when it turned out not to be just that i was actually very happy because i didn't <laughs> want i didn't want this whole thing to be reduced to basically like a you know just a mystery elite a mystery thing that she has to solve and all you know she can be fine uh, what i did like about this movie is that it is all um like it's actual payoff like the whole thing about her avoiding her father's her not confronting her mother's death and they have that conversation i think it's really well done uh it comes out of nowhere in this movie and i think it just it is a nice humane conversation between a girl and her estranged father and coming to terms with the fact that you know that her mother isn't there anymore so i actually appreciated all of that and even though the roommate thing is kind of it, it it also feels like it comes out of left field, but I think that makes a lot more sense rather than having it be the, just the uh, her solving the serial killer thing or getting revenge. I agree. I was I was getting very upset, especially when the serial killer like immediately yep. pulled the mask off. And I was yep. like, oh, now that the audience knows he's fine with the mask being off. But then, <laughs> then it sort of makes sense. It's like, oh, I give you credit for he behaves differently yeah. with the costume than the actual killer would. Right. Like, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. yeah. The, the biggest bit- plot hole in this movie, by the way, is like they come up with this whole plan to like uh try to figure out who the serial killer is and none of the plans is just restrain the serial killer and take (laughs) off the mask just take off the mask you're (laughs) done movie over i i uh i had one one thought and i just don't know if if you guys agreed with this because i thought it was of course a goofy idea to call the school the Baylor babies you know it was because because you got to use the baby head because we decided this head was going to be creepy you know which it wasn't you know was kind of goofy but did any of you think the dad looked like the baby head oh (laughs) taking next level this is like cosmic brain stuff yeah because I'm looking at him and I'm thinking like boy he looks a lot like does that mm. does that put together reality and dream? Is that the reason why the father is continually calling on the phone and mm. that parallels the repeated day and her repeated death? And then you go she goes, sees the real father, and real father has a real baby real baby head. <laughs> I think I, you're giving the movie too much credit, but I like it. <laughs> I don't know, but I did. I did like the scene. I did like the scene, and that was the scene in which several people went out to get more popcorn. <laughs> I like that scene. All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Stephen. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Find our theme song at adamwarrock.com. And stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Stephen Tobolowski, we can find more of your work on the Tobolowski Files at tobolowskifiles.com. Spell it for us, Stephen. How do you spell your name? That would be S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T as in Tom, O-B as in boy, L-O-W-S-K-Y, the Russian spelling.
<laughs> and and you can and if you go to stephentobolowski.com you know, this Stephen, is a new web Stephen I don't know if you spelled that correctly T O B O L O Oh yeah yeah I I don't think I think you might have left out the second O this has happened before Yeah it happened T O B O L O W S K Y there you go. Yeah. <laughs> did I not? Did I? I spelled it correctly. There you go. Yeah. If you go to stephentobolowski.com, not only are there links to the Tobolowski files and uh, my two books, but also where I'm going to be on the book tour because I'm going to be on a book tour through the Midwest and the East Coast and down in Florida. So check check those places and dates. And if you're out there, come out and see me and say hello. I have seen Stephen uh, reading from his book live, and it is a great experience. So I'd recommend it at stephentobolowski.com. Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet? Oh, I do lots of shows. I don't have to go through all of them. But I will tell you, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have jeffkanata.com, too, also, which, which lists my shows. How about you, uh, Devendra Hardwar? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. It's kind of hell week, so lots of reviews this week, so go check those out. Yeah, find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. That's where you can keep track of what I'm up to. And next week, the Slash Filmcast will be discussing The Florida Project. Uh, so uh, really amazing film. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard that it's one of the best of the year. So, uh, yeah, that's what's going to be on the Slash Filmcast next week. Thanks for joining us on uh, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad, it's the SlashFilmCast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.